Father, if we realize how great you are, how righteous, how holy, how just, we know that we should fear you because you're huge and powerful. There's no one like you. And yet we're also filled with love for you and acceptance by you. And so we know you've embraced us. We thank you for that. As we look at a very uh, very fiery passage full of wrath and judgment, would you help us see what you want us to see here this morning? To understand you a little better on a subject that maybe we don't think about a lot or talk about a lot. Thank you for this time and ask you to fill each of us with your spirit so that we can understand this correctly. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to jump right in this morning. I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 16 while I set a couple things up. That song by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir is actually what they're singing was just the the song that we looked at last week that the saints sing in heaven after they leave the tribulation, uh, presumably because they've been killed by the Antichrist and they sing this song. Uh, they just took that song and put music to it. So uh, pretty pretty cool, pretty pretty powerful. So um, thought it was a good lead into what we were doing today. Everything I preach this morning will be directed at Josh Welch, just so you know. You're off the hook. I thought we'd do that again, you know, because it was my intention all those Sundays before. I thought, well, this is for Josh. <laughs> you probably don't want this one directed at you, though. I mean, just, just got to say, not this one, all right? All right. When people talk about the end of the world, when people say God's going to burn everything up and destroy things, when people talk like that, when you go to apocalyptic movies, I mean, how many of those are there out there? These end-of-the-world scenarios that we love seeing because now we have special effects to capture the buildings collapsing, the huge waves overflowing cities. It's a spectacle, and it sells tickets. Well, well this, is, this is the real thing. This is the real thing that all of those things are, are, are trying to kind of capture and basing it on. This is the end of the world. Revelation chapter 16 says this, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing of the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One. 
because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed at their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so that he may not, may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that is in Hebrew called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men. And they cursed God on account of the, ter- the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. I wanted to give you a visual, uh, you kids in particular. Caitlin, would you help me with this? Would you come up? Are you okay coming up? Yeah, come on up. All right. Just wanted to give you a visual. Maybe not by the sound equipment, though. That's not good. That's not good. Right here. Would you stand right here, Caitlin? It's amazing what you can find on Amazon. I've got a globe, and it's a beach ball. Now, probably what we're talking about is angels that were in the temple of God taking instruments from the temple of God, bowls that were used in the temple of God. They used bowls in the Old Testament for different things. So you probably have these angels that are taking these bowls out of the temple of God, they've been given them, and they contain God's wrath. And so what they're going to do is, on God's command, even though we're not told what, who the voice is, I guess it could be one of those four living creatures that's saying, you know, it's time, you can pour them now. A lot of people assume that it's probably God's voice coming out of the temple saying, you know, now's the time, now to pour. So I want to do a visual here, and I'll try not to get your dress wet, Caitlin. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe you just stand back like that. And 
I don't know, just, just so you can get an impression of what this might look like. And, and sometimes seeing it kind of brings certain thoughts and images to the mind, you that are visual. Um, I'm not so much that way, but I, I, I relate to you if you, if you do that. So, um, so something like this. You, know, you have an angel pouring, pouring judgment over the world seven times. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind as you see that. I think of, uh, that's okay, you can stay down there. I'm done. You can go sit down. Thank you. I think of some of the, the swiftness of the judgment, you know, that, that it's just poured out and immediately these things start happening. Like, first of all, everything was kind of okay and then it's not. It's not okay at all. I mean, the moment that 100-pound hailstones start falling, you know things are not okay. The moment you realize you've got these painful sores on your body and a moment ago you didn't, things are not okay. And you find out, according to the news, that everyone on earth is getting these painful sores. What is going on? And in those moments you realize something just, something just happened. Something just happened. And you read the story and you also realize that he, the angels are targeting certain things. They're pouring it out on the, the, the people that have the mark of the beast, they're pouring it out on the beast's throne. They're, they're targeting different things. It's intentional. It's not haphazard. It's, it's certain areas being targeted at different times. I don't know what it brings up in your mind, but those are some of the things I think. In light of that, I'd like to say, give seven observations about these seven bulls. They're in your notes. You can follow along that way or you can follow behind me on the, on the overhead here. So we'll give these seven points and then we'll try to draw some conclusions for us. What, what's here for us believers in the 21st century before these bulls happen? Number one then, when people talk about the end of the world, this is what they mean. But biblically, this is called the day of the Lord. That's a good term to have in your vocabulary, the day of the Lord. Would you turn with me, keep your finger in Revelation, would you turn to Isaiah chapter 13? If you're kind of the halfway point in your Bible, usually Psalms, so it would be like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah 13. There's a lot of passages in the prophets like this. I could have turned to a lot of them, but I'll just give you one. It's a prophecy against Babylon. We'll start in verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will not be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty. I will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make man scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. 
Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. And we'll stop there. We could go on, but we'll stop there. So this is a good word to have in your vocabulary, this day of the Lord. Because when you're reading the prophets in particular, you're going to see them refer to this coming time of judgment and they call it the day of the Lord. And that day is here in Revelation chapter 16. Okay, number two. Uh, As you were reading this, you might have thought this. The seven bulls correspond, number two, to the ten plagues on Egypt. You should see a similarity there. There's sores. There's things happening with the sun. Uh, there's, There's waters turning to blood. Can you imagine both salt water and fresh water turning to blood and, and the death of sea life and, and the smell. Whether you think this is figurative or, or real blood, it, it is a plague on sea life and, and you've got to imagine that the stench and, and the impact that would have on people would be great. So you're supposed to read this and say, this sounds a little bit like ten plagues on Egypt except on a worldwide level. The similarities are supposed to be there for you to see. Number three, the bulls affect the whole world, but presumably not Christians. Presumably not Christians. Remember earlier in Revelation, we looked at the 144,000 that were sealed, and God said to seal them before he unleashed his judgments. So the idea being God's not targeting believers for wrath. So just like Israel had a way out during the ten plagues, so anyone that trusts in Christ and believes during this time would not be targeted by God's wrath. And Thessalonians agrees and says we're not appointed to suffer wrath. So that would make sense that we're not the targets of this. It it, it is the unbelievers, it's the ones that take the mark of the beast. Number four, the purpose of the bold judgments is to punish the wicked in particular for killing Christians and to bring vindication to the righteous, to show that the righteous have trusted in the true God and those that trusted in the Antichrist and the false prophet, they are incorrect. They were wrong to do that. They were wrong to participate in the killing of Christians during this time. Uh, You can see that in verse 5. The angel in charge of the waters says, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. So you see the correlation of the punishment fits the crime. You shed the blood of innocent people. So now you're going to drink blood, because God is sending this plague on the water. So we keep in mind that whatever God does, the punishment fits The crime. That's who he is. We can trust that. He's a just judge. Next, we would say, in keeping with that very statement I just made, number five, God is just in sending these judgments. As harsh as they are, as bad as they are, the clear teaching here is God is right to do this. Verse five, you are just in these judgments. You're righteous. You're correct. This is what is supposed to happen. We talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go further into it, but this is a hard thing for some people. And it will be a hard thing on this day, 
Over and over you saw in this passage people saying, we're not going to repent. We're not going to repent. You saw that as we read that. There's this sense of people saying, God, you have no right to do this to me. You have no right. And you will hear that from people today. Who is God to judge me? I'm a good person. It's going to go well with me on the judgment day if I end up before God. And there's this justification of sin. We see it here at the end too. When you would think with the world shaking, you would think with people understanding that these plagues came from God, you would think they would say, God save me. But instead, they refuse and they curse him. Number seven, and lastly, bowls six and seven set up the battle of Armageddon where Jesus and Satan have their final battle. So this is referring to uh, verses 12 through 21. You've got the, the angel, sixth angel pours out his bowl in the great river Euphrates. The waters dry up so that these kings from the east can come. And uh, again, kings from the east... If you're talking about threats to the Roman Empire when this was written, you might think of the Parthenians. They, they were a, a rival army, an invading army. If you're talking about today, you're talking about the Middle East area where Iraq is. Um, it, it's hard to press this. I think that Christians have to be very careful about pressing the, the kings from the east. I think at different periods of time when we feared uh, uh, different people groups, you could have pointed to the Chinese and said some things about them or pointed to... the I don't, I don't think that's helpful here. I think that actually promotes a more racist interpretation of the text. But we're not told what nation. We're just told they're east of the Euphrates. And we ought to leave it there and be careful not to press things too far, especially as they reveal our prejudice sometimes. So in the middle of all this, very interesting, in the middle of all these judgments, and I hope it caught your attention, it's like one of these things is really different about the rest, right? You've got an encouragement from Jesus, presumably to the people suffering during this time, perhaps that do believe him and, and trust him. Perhaps it's a warning to the world saying, you could still turn to me. In any case, this is Jesus' word in verse 15. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. That's Jesus' word during the bold judgments. Stay awake. Keep your clothes on. That's what Jesus says to us today. Stay awake. Keep your clothes on. Because these are some harsh judgments. What does that mean? What does that even mean? To understand this, you have to understand the first time Jesus said this. Okay, So we need to go to the Gospels and understand what he's talking about. Would you go to Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 12, verse uh, 35. Uh, my Bible from the pew says page 737. Jesus tells a couple parables, and they relate to the, what he's saying to us today. 
And it says this, Luke 12, 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he, meaning the master, will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. We're talking about after midnight, in the early hours of the morning. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Don't you love Peter? I just, you know, is this for us or is this for all of them? Or just, just you know, help us a little bit here. Uh, Jesus, often, often when you ask a rabbi a question, he answers with his own question back to you. I should start doing that. Niall, would you be available for this? What do you think? Would I, you know, just, so, anyway, I don't even think I'd be smart enough to do that right. But, but Jesus is brilliant, and so here he goes. The Lord answered, verse 42, uh, verse 42, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. Then he begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and to get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. What is he saying? He's told two parables here. The first one, you've got the master who's at a wedding banquet. He's got servants back at home waiting for him. He's told them not to sleep, but he didn't tell them when he was coming home. So don't sleep. I'm coming home and I'm not telling you when. So the servants are all supposed to be waiting and watching for him and being ready for his return. And during one of the watches of the night, he comes back. And he finds that they're ready for him. They're waiting for him. The master comes into the house And the master doesn't say, now take my cloak, make my food, prepare my bed, I'm getting up early. He doesn't say any of that. What would be shocking to the first people that heard this story was, the master comes home and tells the servants to sit down, relax, and now he's going to serve them. Wow. I mean, I don't even like to think about, I mean, I get that Jesus died for me, but to think that there's this day coming where he's going to serve me like that? What, what, do I, what have I done to deserve that and his service to me like that? But this is what he says. He's going to come back and serve the servants. And then Peter says, hey, you're going to be serving us, us disciples? You know, are we like, the, like, we like the, the important guys here you're going to be taking care of? Or are you talking about everybody here? And Jesus says, who then is the faithful and wise master whom the master puts in charge of his servants? He's talking about servants doing his will while he's gone. So he doesn't answer the question directly, but I assume that he's talking about all of his servants. All of his servants. Us. You could even get more specific because he says, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. 
So apparently these are servants that are faithful, and then he's going to give some sort of leadership responsibility in heaven. He's going to put them in charge of more things because they were faithful while they were here on earth. Some have tried to say, well, that must mean leaders in the church. And maybe it does mean us leaders in the church. But I think more generally he's just talking about servants, managers, ministry leaders. This might be you. This could be you. What does it mean then in Revelation 16? Stay awake. Keep your clothes with you. Let's talk about stay awake first. Number one, Jesus says, stay awake. I think the best way to interpret that is, I need to focus on Jesus every single day. And the times when I'm tempted not to focus on him because I'm too busy are the times I'm vulnerable. The times that I'm not ready for his return, that's when I'm weak. Not weak in a good sense, like when I'm weak, I'm strong, but a a spiritually vulnerable position to what Satan wants to do in my life. Think of it like this. The youth group just did an all-nighter. Was it last week or the week before, Andrew? Yeah? You survived? Did you get any sleep that night? Well, see, one year I did an all-nighter, and I was really tired that night. I don't, I don't remember why, but I was just like dreading going into it. I don't know if you were dreading going into yours, but you know, you kind of have to gear up for things like that. And I was really tired. So we had all of these kids together, and, and we were doing all sorts of crazy things. And I was talking to my youth leaders. I had two or three, uh, I think this was a guys-only all-nighter, which is really dangerous. That's, that's even more dangerous. And uh, airsoft and all sorts of things were happening. I had welts by the end of it and whatever. But... I remember I was talking to the other guys, and some of them were tired too, and so I said, let's make a deal. How about we take turns sleeping for a couple hours tonight? Oh, great idea. Let's do that. We'll all get a couple hours of sleep. Then we'll be ready for tomorrow a little better. That'll work great. Okay, sounds good. So how are we going to do this? Well, uh, we were talking, and the youth kind of got wind that we were going to take turns sleeping, and so they were plotting that while we slept, we would be pranked. Can you imagine that? So what I did was, I didn't know where the other guys slept. I mean, they didn't really tell me, and I was like, whatever. But I thought, as for me, I'm going to protect myself. I'm not going to be vulnerable to this. So what I did was, I went into a Sunday school room, and I locked the door behind me. You know, so they couldn't get in and get to me. Little did I know that uh, the guys were so, like, uh, intent to prank. They had their hearts so set on that that they were actually in the next room over in the Sunday school room trying to go through the ceiling, took, taking the tiles out and climb over to get to me. And the only thing that saved me was the fact that one of my other leaders saw them doing it and they actually broke a tile, one of those tiles in the ceiling, and got on their case and got them out. Now that's some dedication to seeing me pranked. Now here's the point. When you're sleepy, when you're tired and you're with a group of junior high or senior high guys, you better watch out. Because there's judgment coming your way. There, there's bad things that are going to happen. And you're not, you might not make it through that unscathed, even if you lock the door. When Jesus says, stay alert, keep watch, stay awake, what he's saying is, if you don't focus on me, 
all the days of your life, you're vulnerable to attack. And we are at war. And Satan wants to take you out. He doesn't care about damaging ceiling tiles. He wants to ruin you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to ruin your reputation, ruin your testimony, get you stuck in a a cycle of sinning so that messes up you and your family. He wants you to fail. You know that. And, And none of us would dare take a nap on a bench in Chicago at midnight. None of you would do that. You're not that stupid. You, you wouldn't do that. But you might dare to take a nap in your own home because you're safe. The reality is every day for us is spiritual battle. Satan's not taking a time off. Darkness doesn't say, let's just give them a little breather. God may give you a breather. He may give you a time of peace. But the reality is we're at war. And so if you're not focusing on Jesus, that means you're sleeping on the bench at midnight in the inner city. (laughs) And things will not go well for you if that's the way it is. So fine, don't read your Bible. Be prayerless. Come to church and do your Sunday thing. But just know you're sleeping on the bench and you're wide open to attack. And so Jesus says, Stay alert. Keep watching for me. We don't know when he's coming. We know he's coming back. And until then, if we focus on him, the day that he comes back, we're just going to be focusing on him, and there he's going to be, you know? And how awesome will be that day. Stay awake. Stay awake. Let's see. Lastly, uh, number two, keep your clothes on. Keep your clothes on. What does that mean? Jesus tells the people in Luke 12 to be dressed and ready for what? For service. Be dressed and ready for service. In Revelation, he says, you don't want to be shamefully exposed. Uh, Be dressed and ready. So I take it to mean when, when Jesus says, keep your clothes on, what he means is, I'm ready to do God's will at all times. I'm ready to do whatever he wants. I've got my Jesus clothes on. I'm ready to go. And if he asks me to do this today, I'm going to do this today. And if he asks me to repent of that, I'm going to repent of that. And if he asks me to humble myself here, I'll humble myself here. Whatever he wants, I'm doing his will. That's what servants do. They're always dressed and ready to serve. So keep going. And one day he's going to come back and serve you. And that, again, that blows my mind. One more good youth pastor story. This, this is not me. I just want to make that clear. It's very embarrassing, but it's not me. <laughs> there was a youth pastor once who uh, was at home, and he had a little uh, uh, two-year-old son. And one morning, I think wife was out somewhere doing something. He's getting in the shower showering, two-year-old son's in the living room or something, and the doorbell rings. So, he hops out of the shower, doesn't even dry off, throws, just throws a towel on, because he figures, oh, I got a UPS delivery, I might have to sign for that. He knows there's one coming, right? And so he's like, that's got to be what it is. 
I don't want to miss that delivery. So he runs to the door. He looks through the peephole, and, and, and he doesn't see anybody standing at the door. So he's like, oh, I missed him. I'm sure I missed him. So he opens the door, runs out there. Door closes behind him, and he realized he locked the door. So he's out there in a towel, wet, and his two-year-old son's in the house. What are you going to do? No, you don't have your cell phone. <laughs> uh, so he's got to get his kid. He goes to the next door neighbor, little old lady. <laughs> knocks on the door. She opens. Here he is with, with a towel and a smile on, <laughs> saying, can I please use your phone? I've got to call my wife. I've got to get her back here. I've got to get into my house and help my two-year-old. Unbelievable. She says, yes. Come on in. He goes in, makes the call, calls his wife, gets in there, and, and gets his son as he walked out, the little old lady said, come back anytime. <laughs> News got out about his blunder, what he had done. And a uh, staff meeting happens at church a day or two later. And they're setting up the time of prayer. And the pastor says to him, uh, would you read from Revelation today to set up our prayer time? He opens the Bible and he reads, Revelation chapter 16, about keeping your clothes on so that you won't be shamefully exposed. And as he's reading the passage in the church meeting, he realizes what has happened. The joke's on him. <laughs> oh, ever have those dreams? Ever have those dreams where you go to school and you're in your underwear, you know? That dream, that feeling of embarrassment, most of us have had that dream. Uh, this is on a whole different level of keep your clothes on. Keep doing Jesus' work so that one day when he returns, you're not going to be ashamed and say, I just lived for myself this whole life. I just did what I wanted to do. It was really all about me. And on that day, embarrassment will set in. And Jesus says, I'd rather spare you that. Would you just serve me faithfully all the days of your life? Whatever I've asked you to do, would you do it? And if it turns out great, awesome. If it gets hard, keep going. Just do what I've asked you to do. That's what he's called us to do as well. We're going to sing a closing song. Worship team, would you come up at this time? Let's pray. Jesus, we look forward to your return. We know you're coming back. We pray that we would be a faithful church in the meantime. Faithful meaning that we would be watching for you, waiting for you. Keep our eyes focused on you every single day. Would you protect us from Satan? Would you deliver us from evil? May you not lead us into temptation. Help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may we continue to serve him. And whatever you say in our soul to do, whatever we read in the Bible to do, will you help us do it so that we may stay clothed in you. In your name, Jesus, amen.